Masechet Nedarim Daf Samech Vav, and with this Daf we complete the ninth Perek of Nedarim. They are going fast, they're mostly Mishnayot, but today we're going to have some really fun and funny uh, and interesting stories to end off the Perek with. The Mishnah teaches, Potchin b'yamim tovim u'b'shabatot. Barishon ha'yomrim otan ha'yamim mutarin u'shar kol ha'yamim asurin. Ad sheba Rabbi Akiva v'limed, shaneder shehutar mikelalo, one petach that one can use to annul a vow is to ask about Yom Tov and Shabbat. For example, if someone said, I'm not going to eat any, any uh, sugar for the next year, and then on Shabbat they bring out all these beautiful desserts and uh, uh, sugary foods, and everybody's enjoying, and this is taking away from his Oneg Shabbat and Oneg Yom Tov. And so he comes to the Chacham and said, you know, I made this vow, uh, can you annul it? And the, and the, and the Chacham will say, Did it, if you knew uh, that there would be such great desserts on Shabbat and Yom Tov and how difficult this would be and it would take away from your Onik, would you have made the vow for, to, to apply to Shabbat and Yom Tov? And he says, no, I would not. I would have excluded Shabbat and Yom Tov. I would have said, maybe only on weekdays. Um, then that is a valid opening uh, to annul the vow. Now, this very law went through its two stages of development. At first, the original law was when the when the chacham annuls the vow, he doesn't annul the vow entirely, but rather only its applicability to those days of Shabbat and Yom Tov, because that's the only days where he says, "Oh, I regret." I didn't realize that uh, I regret uh, applying it to Shabbat Yom Tov. So then only on Shabbat Yom Tov, he could have his desserts, but not during the rest of the week. The rest of the week, the vow would still apply. However, at a second stage, Rabbi Akiva came and taught that once a vow is annulled in part, it is now annulled in its totality, right? It's an all or nothing deal. Uh, the vow applies to, you said, right? Sugar or meat or wine, whatever. And uh, once you uh, once you annul part of the vow, that's it. There is no more vow. And then you can have dessert all week long. Kesad. Here are some examples. So now this, this is going to be an example, not about Shabbat Yom Tov, but rather an example of this rule of Rabbi Akiva, when a par- partial vow is undone is what about the rest of the vow and so we'll see a couple of different formulations someone says like a korban is to me that i will benefit from all of you in other words i will not benefit from any of you he tells to a certain group turns out later on that within the group was someone who he's related to or loves very much like his father and now he doesn't want to have a vow that he cannot benefit from his father. Um, and so he goes to the Chacham and undoes it. And Mutarechad um, Mehen, because he undid the vow as it relates to his father, the entire, according to Rabbi Akiva, um, the entire vow is undone. I would never have said, all of you are prohibited uh, to me if I knew that my father was there. So therefore, uh, the uh, all of them, everyone is permitted. A second formulation. Someone says, I will not benefit from this one and th- this person and that particular person. Asurin. 
In this case, he used a chain formula. So here it depends on the order that he lists them. So he says, I'm not going to uh, benefit from A, B, C, and D. Fine. And now he realizes that A was his father. He goes to the Chacham and said, oh, I want to undo the vow uh, because my father is the first one on the list. Since the father is the first one on the list and the rest of them come after, so it's like a chain link, right? If you undo the first link in a the chain, then all the rest of them are, are, are already going to be uh, loose, uh, become loose from the um, origin point. And so since basically saying uh, A is prohibited, B will be like A, C like B, D like C. So if A is permitted, then all of them are permitted. However, if only the last one was permitted, so D, the last person on the list that he mentioned was his father, well then only D is prohibited because we start from the beginning, right? And they said A is prohibited, his remains were prohibited, and B is like A, and C is like B, so they're all prohibited because nothing changed, only D changed, fine, so he just cut off from the, from the chain, but everything else on the chain is still connected, so the rest of them are prohibited. And same thing, if someone in the middle was permit, became permitted, like his father was C, uh, then C and D would be permitted, but A and B would, would remain prohibited. The third formulation is where he uses the word korban, which is a key word um, that means prohibited like a korban, and he, he repeats that many times to apply it to each person. So he says, A is prohibited to me like a korban, B also like a korban, C will be like a korban, D is prohibited to me like a korban. So because he may said korban each of the four times, they, they're considered four separate vows, and therefore if any one of them, doesn't matter the order, was his, it turns out to be that that was his father, uh, then, uh, nevertheless, he has to, um, uh, only that, only the father is permitted, and all the rest of them will remain prohibited. Next, we're going to see yet another uh, application of Rabbi Akiba's principle, uh, that once part, a part is annulled, the rest is annulled too. Someone says, wine is going to be prohibited to me to taste, because wine is bad for one's uh, digestion. That's what he thinks. I don't know. He read some article that is bad. And so he says, no more wine. But then they told him, no, no, you read it wrong, right? That is not scientifically true. Um, actually, um, old wine is actually good for the, uh, for your digestion. So in that case, he's permitted to drink old wine. Uh, and not only old wine is permitted, actually all wine, even new wine. New wine means it's not aged, uh, so more like what we call grape juice. Um, so he's permitted in everything. What you see here is that there's uh, the halakha is stated in two in two stages, right? The first stage, hutar Yushan, sounds like that was the original law before Rabbi Akiva, where um, since he said, I'm not going to have wine because it's no good for me, so that's kind of like a condition, so we can use that to annul that portion of the vow. So then in the original law, only the uh, old wine would become permitted, but the new wine would still be prohibited. Uh, but then, um, uh, then we add a sentence, so we leave the old, the, we leave the original sentence there. But then we add a sentence to update the law according to Rabbi Akiva's new teaching. 
Similarly, someone says, I'm not going to have onions because they're bad for your heart. Uh, that's what he thinks. And they told him, hold on, that's not true. Not all onions, kufri onions, are actually good for your heart. So, so then we said, would you have made this vow um, knowing that kufri onion, onions are bad for your heart? And the person would say, no, I only made the vow because I wanted to be healthy. And I thought all onions were prohibited. If I knew kufri onions were, were, were good for me, I, I, I did not, I would not have made a vow. So then we, uh, we can annul the vow. And so on the, in the early stage, he, uh, the vow is only annulled for kufri onions. But then the Akiva came and taught, once part is, uh, part of an, uh, a vow is annulled, the whole thing is annulled. And therefore the law after Rabbi Akiva is not only are those types of onions permitted, but all types of onions, the entire vow is totally annulled. And this is not just a theoretical case, it was a real case. And uh, someone made this very vow and he came to the Bimeir and he permitted all of them. That's actually quite interesting that this was a real case. You wonder um, when, the, when the Mishnah brings examples, um, are these theoretical examples or is it choosing these examples because they derive from actual cases that the Tanaim had to judge? Okay. Now, going back to the Mishnah, uh, we talked about the chain link. Um, and, and then in that case, uh, the only the last one, um, uh, the last one, if the last one is permitted, then the rest will be permitted. But then after that, the next statement is actually going to be on the next f- um, formulation. If someone repeated the word korban for each person, A is korban, B is korban, C is korban, then each one is considered an individual separate vow. And all, even according to the Akiva, would agree that even if one of them is annulled, the rest of them still apply. So we ask, Mantana, who is the author of that section in the Mishnah? This uh, fits with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. In, uh, in Shavuot, there's a case of a person who makes a false oath to several people at once. Um, so how many korban, how many korban hatat does he have to bring? Is it considered one shivuah because he said one shivuah for all of them? Or since he said it to many people, is it considered um, a separate, is it considered many shivuot because there's many people that he addressed through it? Well, anyway, the Bishimon says um, the only time he would be liable to multiple Korban uh, hatats is if he said shivuah, a separate word shivuah for each one, right? I make a shivuah to you, and I make a shivuah to you, and I also make a shivuah to you. So then each one is considered separate. He'll have to bring a lot of korban hatats. But if he says, I'm going to make a shivuah and applies to A, B, and C, but I only said shivuah once, then that's only considered one shivuah. So you see that that's the same thing in our Mishnah. We all, we consider it uh, to be all one there, that unless he says korban, for each and every person, then each one is considered separate. And now we're going to explain the next case of uh, the wine. He says, I'm not going to taste wine because he thinks that all wine is bad. And then he learns that someone tells him, oh, actually old wine is good for you. Now we ask, why does it have to be that someone told him that wine is actually good for you? What if he just said it's not bad for you? Right? Wouldn't that be sufficient? 
Um, in other words, he a person said, I'm not going to have any wine because it's bad for me. Someone comes and says, no, wine is not bad for you. It's neutral. Then he also would say, oh, I never would have made a vow if I knew that old wine is not bad for me. I'd like to enjoy wine. I only made the vow because I thought it was bad for me. That would be, that would be sufficient. So why does Mishnah have to say that, uh, give a case where someone said, no, it's actually good for you. You're right. Even if the person, even if he learned later that it's not bad, um, that would be sufficient grounds for annulling the vow. Um, but the Mishnah is teaching us something else. Uh, by the way, some uh, good medical advice, and that furthermore, wine actually, old wine is actually good for you. Of course, in moderation. And the same thing with the onions. Person said, "I'm not going to have any onions because they're bad for me." And then uh, he, he learns that the kufri onions are good for you. Again, here the same question: Why, why does he have to say that it's good for you? What if it just says oh, kufri onions are not bad for you? That would be sufficient grounds to annul uh, a petach, to annul the vow, because he he would like to have onions. Uh, he just that he didn't want to have it if it's bad for him. So we say, indeed, you're right. That would be sufficient. But it's adding adding something else. Oh, and also, by the way, they're actually good for you, right? Even if they were not just not bad for you, you would you could annul the vow. But they're even good for you. So that's um, another uh, added uh, added uh, bonus that we get that some medical advice. All right. Next Mishnah, last Mishnah. Potchin Adam Bichvod Asmo Bichvod Banav. Omrim Lo Ilu Hayita Yoder Shemachar Omrim Alecha Kach Hi Vestosha Ploni Megaresh Et Nashav. Veal Benotecha Yomrim Benot Girushot Hen. Mad Ata Iman Shel Elu Lehit Garesh. Vamad Ilu Hayiti Yoder Sheken. Lohiti Noder Hareze Mutar. Another proper petach, an, uh, a proper reason to annul a vow is the honor of himself and his sons. So here's, for example, um, someone says, someone makes a vow uh, that he's, he's, he's not going to give any benefit to his wife. And now because of that, that violates the Qutubah, he's going to have to divorce his wife. Now, if the person makes a vow like this, he's going to get a reputation. People are going to say, oh, did you hear that guy? Right, see, he made a vow. And now it, this, he, he divorced his wife. Remember, he did that last time also. Look at this guy, right? So if you had, we, we go to him. And you know, let's say he feels bad about it. He doesn't want to divorce his wife. He, he, he calmed down from his anger. So how are we going to annul the vow? So we tell him, if you knew that tomorrow, right, after you make the vow, people are going to be spreading rumors about you and they're going to be saying about you, this is his way. That's his, that's his, this is his regular pattern uh, of you, the guy who made the vow, that he always divorces his wife, right? Every time he gets a little upset, he flies off the handle, he makes vows. Well, that's, that, that's his reputation, right? If, if you knew people are going to say that about you, would you have made this vow? He says, no, I didn't realize, right? I was just directing it to my wife. I wasn't thinking about my reputation in the community. I never would have made the vow. And that's that's valid. Or people will say about your daughters. Oh, this these daughters, their uh, uh, their um, uh, parents are divorced, right? Their daughters are uh, going out, and uh, you know, person says, I don't know if you want to go out with them. It's a broken family. So if you knew that you're going to um, bring 
um, that reputation about your daughters? Would you have made the vow? He says, no. If he says, no, we can undo it. Or um, people say, what did the mother of these uh, children see uh, that they that they divorced, right? It must be something wrong in that family, right? That they uh, that they divorced the mother, um, or that she decided she had to leave, and uh, so then people will stay away and not be friends with the family. So this is going to cause a bad reputation. If you knew this was going to cause a bad reputation to you and your children, would you have made the vow? And if he says, if I knew that, I would not have made the vow. Then we annul the vow. Next case, someone says, I'm making a vow. This woman is prohibited to me to marry like a korban because she is ugly. Uh, but turns out he was wrong. He is, it turns out actually she was beautiful. Uh, we saw this Mishnah already yesterday, but this is the this is where the Mishnah actually is. If he says, I'm not going to marry her because she's dark-skinned, but in fact, she's fair-skinned. Or because he says, I'm not going to marry her, it makes a vow because she's short. But I don't know, it turns out that she actually is tall, right? He just didn't, he, he, she, she, he saw her uh, sitting down and didn't realize that she was tall. Um, we're not talking about a case where there was an actual change in her, that she was ugly and she changed to be beautiful, or that her skin color uh, complexion changed, um, or that she actually grew. We're not talking about a case where she was, uh, you know, she was young and uh, she she uh, she ate better and she grew and now that now is a new circumstance. No, we're talking about where he was simply mistaken. All right, he made it he made it on false premises. Someone told him that uh, this person is ugly, but actually he comes and looks and says, "I find her very beautiful," and so he made the vow and error. And uh, therefore, that is also a proper reason to annul the vow. Okay, fantastic story. There was some guy who made a vow he's not going to uh, marry his niece. In those days, it was common for people to marry their nieces. It was even considered praiseworthy to keep it in the family, right? You know uh, that the father of the bride knows his brother is trustworthy, is going to take care of his daughter. But this particular uncle um, said, made a vow. Uh, no, I'm making a vow. I guess they were pressuring him. Come on, marry the niece. And he says, no, I'm making a vow. I will not marry her. Um, because he didn't find her attractive. But the Bishmael, this is Bishmael ben Elisha, um, the grandson of Bishmael ben Elisha, who was the Kohen Gadol in the Bet, Bet Mikdash. Okay, this is the famous Bishmael, um, the colleague of Rabbi Akiva. And he, he decided to take, it, take this case upon himself. And he took this uh, this uh, niece uh, into his home and made her beautiful. I will describe how we made her beautiful, right? They did a, a extreme makeover, and Amalo to Bishmael, and Bishmael brings the uncle in and says, uh, "My son, not not literally, it wasn't his son. He's just saying, you know, um, uh, uh, right, um, uh, uh, figuratively, my son. Would, did you make a vow uh, that you would not not marry this one?" And so he takes a look at her, and now she's all she's beautiful. And he says, "No, I never meant that. I didn't realize she was so beautiful." And Rabbi Ishmael permitted it. 
Okay, now this story the Gemara is going to ask seems to contradict the rule here because the, the cases here were where there was actually no change in the woman. She, she didn't grow. She didn't, uh, she didn't change at all. He was just mistaken, right? He just, uh, he, saw the, he saw the wrong person. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't the person that he was thinking of. Um, he just didn't see correctly. Um, so here's where he made, a, made, made an error. Whereas in the case of Bishmel, it sounds like she was ugly, and they did extreme makeover. So now she's beautiful. So there is a change. So I was going to ask about that. At that point, Rabbi Ishmael cried. And he said, really, the daughters of Israel, they're all beautiful. But because of their poverty, that makes them uh, that makes them uh, look ugly. They don't they don't have uh, enough uh, resources to take care of themselves properly, and that's why it's just external that uh, they look they look disheveled. Their their clothing is torn. They can't keep themselves, uh, you know, uh, 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 proper, uh, properly maintained, and that's the only reason that um, that uh, the the daughters are now suffering because, as the story, right, he just experienced this that, uh, that nobody wanted to marry her, and the Bishmel says, right, poor girls, it's really because of poverty, but actually they're very beautiful, and he just demonstrated how, right, with a little help, uh, she she is made to be attractive. When Rabbi Ishmael died, all the daughters of Israel would wail and say a eulogy, and uh, they would say, the daughters of Israel, let us cry for Rabbi Ishmael. And also it says regarding Shaul, the same, uh, same phrase, the daughters of Israel cried over Shaul. In other words, they took the phrase from the Tanakh, that regarding Shaul, and they substituted Rabbi Ishmael. Why? Because the doors of Israel knew that Rabbi Ishmael cared for them so much. Uh, maybe on other occasions also, he helped, uh, he helped out um, to put together uh, marriages um, and uh, help, help uh, grooms see the inner beauty of uh, their brides. So Rabbi Ishmael really cared for this cause, and that's why he's, he was remembered so uh, lovingly by the daughters of Israel. Okay, now we ask, hold on, the story is not exactly the same as the law is trying to demonstrate, because in the law uh, that of the Mishnah, where we're talking about cases where the person did not change, the, the, person, the, 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 the woman did not change, the person making the vow was mistaken, and that's why we annul it, whereas in the case of Rabbi Ishmael, uh, she was in fact um, not attractive, and Rabbi Ishmael had to do something to make her attractive. And so that's a different that's a different case. Uh, so the answer is Chasurim Chasurim Achikatan Bishmael Lomet Afilu Kiurav Nasit Naa Shechorav Nasit Lebana Kesarav Nasit Adukam. In fact, there is two opinions. There are two opinions here. The first opinion says we can only annul the vow if there was no change and the person who made the vow was just mistaken. It was false false premises. When I made the vow. I, I just didn't see the person. I was, I was just, uh, basing myself on a rumor. I was looking at the wrong person. And that's why I annul the vow. It was just wrong. Um, but if there was a change, then Tanakama would not agree. However, Debi Shmael says, no, I, I, uh, I disagree. Even if the person w- was at the time of the, of the vow was uh, not beautiful or was dark complexion or was short. And then she changed. 
then even then that is a good reason for a petach, right? Would you have made this vow knowing that the person would look like this? No, I would never have made the vow. The Bishmael uh in fact did such a case, that's why the story comes to support um the Bishmael's opinion. Um, but in fact, uh, that opinion, Rabbi Ishmael, is a different opinion of, uh, than Tanakama. Tana, shen totebet haitala ve'asala, Rabbi Ishmael, shen shel zahab mishelol. Well, what do you do to change her? Okay, then just, uh, just didn't just put on makeup and brush her hair. Uh, she had a false tooth, which probably was made out of wood. And that was not very attractive. And Rabbi Ishmael, he, uh, spent his own money and made her a nice golden tooth. And then she was beautiful. All right. So standards have changed. And uh, we're very lucky for modern dentistry that we don't have to walk around with golden teeth. But for that for that time period, a golden tooth. Wow. That's so beautiful. When Rabbi Ishmael died, this is expanding what the Mishnah said, about the when the, the eulogies and the eulogizer, they high, used to hire professional eulogizers. These were poets um, that would compose a eulogy for the person. And they and he said, the daughters of Israel cry over to be Ishmael. He used to clothe you. He would take care of the. So it sounds like he did this on a regular basis. Um, whenever there was a shidduch crisis, he would go and uh, open a beauty parlor in his home and uh, and take care of uh, take care of the do- take care of the daughters of Israel. All right, wonderful story. Now, All right, a, a person comes and uh, says to his wife. A husband says to his wife. You are prohibited to get any benefit from me until you give some of your cooking uh, to the Bishma'el, to the Biuda and the Bishmon to taste. The point is, she was a really bad cook. And he's, <laughs> the husband wanted to embarrass her. So he says, You think this is edible? Take this and give it to the two, two rabbis in the town. I want them to taste what a bad cook you are. And so then everybody, everybody will know. Now, this is not a very nice thing for him to do. So what are the rabbis going to do? Right? She came to him. She says, okay, I'll taste it. Right? Even though it tastes bad. So what? Um, so he'll taste something bad, but look, he can, he can save a marriage through this, right? And it says, Kavachomet, in order to bring peace between a man and his wife, the Torah says that Hashem's name that is written in holiness should be erased, right? We write out, out Parashat, Parashat Sota uh, with ink, and then we erase it, and with the ink is dissolved in the water. And so where, and in, in the parasha is Hashem's name. And uh, Torah says, yes. Uh, erase Hashem's name in order to bring peace between a man and his wife. It's more important than that. So even Hashem will uh, down agree to downgrade his honor in order to bring peace between a couple. Me, the Buddha, I'm just right. I'm I'm just a regular person. Uh, all the more so, I will agree to demean myself and eat this horrible stew that she made. And uh, at least uh, that way, we can undo the vow, and they don't have to get divorced. All right. So that's what the Biuda did. However, the Bishimon Latayim Amadiamutu Kobene Almana Valya Zuz 
שמעון מקומו ועוד כי איך ידלה להתרגלי למין דרבי שמעון refuse to taste it. He says, uh, let them all die before I have to move from my place. Right? The Bnei Almana. Well, she, well she's, she, she's not a widow. She's married. But he means, let him die. Uh, he, made the, he made such a vow that they, to embarrass his wife. Let him die. Let him, those children die too. He's not actually, he doesn't actually want them to die. His point is, I am not moving. I'm Shimon. Or I'm going to be Shimon. Right? It was the honor of Torah here. So now every time every, anyone makes some crazy vow, so now the rabbis have to be demeaned in order to, to shame people. Right? So that's first of all, I'm not moving from my place. Um, this, is a, this is beneath me to do such a thing. And furthermore, I don't want people to get in the habit of making these kinds of vows. Right? Then the next time around, they're going to make some uh, other kind of vow, right? Uh, she's such a bad driver. Okay, I'm not, uh, no benefit from, from me until you give this rabbi a lift and he sees what a bad driver you are. I mean, uh, this is, there's no end to this. And so um, let him suffer the consequences um, of his own vow, right? That, uh, you know, he, uh, he dug, his, he dug his, 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 his grave, let him lie in it too, more or less is what Rabbi Shimon is saying. Okay, uh, that's very interesting uh, comparison, contrast between Rabbi Yehuda, who is willing to demean himself to save the marriage, and Rabbi Shimon says, okay, the certain standards, uh, I am not demeaning myself to that, it's only going to reward and um, encourage bad behavior. A similar story. A man tells his wife, you are like a korban to, uh, uh, to, to me. You cannot benefit from me. I prohibit you to have any benefit from me until you go and spit, uh, spit at Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel. All right, now, what is she going to do? So she comes and she spat on his clothing. I assume with permission. He said, she came to him and said, this is the situation and we're going to have to divorce unless you allow me to spit on you. He says, okay, just spit on my clothing and you have to spit on my face, right? That's sufficient to fulfill the vow and then you can uh, remain married. Says, hold on. But uh, this, the, the husband intended for Rashbag to be humili- humiliated. That's the point, to spit on him. And so therefore, maybe she should have, the vow was not fulfilled unless she actually spits in his face. And uh, by spitting on his clothing, that's not enough. And uh, Ravina answered, no, spitting on the, even on the clothing of Rashbag is a great humiliation for him, right? He's, he's a great person, very well respected. And so, you know, maybe in general, um, uh, spitting on anyone's face is certainly humiliating. If it's just a regular person and there's a little spit goes on his pants, uh, nobody cares about that. But for the Bangam Rashbag, uh, that spit on his clothing is, is humiliating because he's such an honored person. And so therefore, that's sufficient to fulfill the vow. Anyway, we see here another, um, another example of a rabbi who would demean himself in order to save a marriage. Okay, now another, this other guy tells his wife, you are prohibited to me, um, and you can have, not, and not, not, you are like a korban, you can have, not have any benefit from me until you show a something beautiful that's in you 
to Rabbi Ishmael, the son of Rabbi Yosef. This is different Rabbi Ishmael than the one we had before. His point is, I, this husband realizes one day there's nothing that he likes about his wife. I don't know why they married in the first place. I don't know, maybe, maybe she changed. Anyway, he says, I cannot find one good thing about you, and therefore you are prohibited to me unless you go to Rabbi Ishmael. If he could find something beautiful in you, then you can uh, then uh, then you can benefit from me and we'll continue to be married. All right. So she goes. Amar lehem shema roshanae amrulo segalgal. So anyway, she she goes to um, Rabbi Shmael. Rabbi Shmael tells the students, okay, you know, can help me uh, find something, uh, some good quality about her. He says, how about maybe her her head? Maybe she has a nice head. And the students say, no, her head is round like a ball. Not, not, not a nice shape. Nothing good about her head. Shema se'adana. Maybe she has nice hair. No, domele anise pishtan. Her hair is like stalks of flax, all sticking all different ways. They, it looks horrible. Shema anehanot. Maybe she just has nice eyes. That would be sufficient, right? You don't have to have everything. One ask one thing. No, tedutoten. Her eyes are narrow. Shema oznehanot. Maybe she has nice ears. The rest student said, no, we, we checked her ears. Kifuloten, they're double the size of normal ears. Shema chotmanae. So Rabbi Ishmael is really trying. He says, maybe she has a nice nose. No, balum hu, a stubby nose. She doesn't look good. Shema siftotenaot, aboten. Maybe she has nice lips. No, her lips are too fat. Shema savadanae. Maybe she has a nice neck. That would be enough. Shakutu, no, her neck is short. You can barely see it. Maybe she has a, a nice uh, stomach. No, her stomach is swollen, all sticking out. Maybe she has nice legs. The students say, no, they're, 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 they're wide like goose legs. So Bishmael, right, it says, okay, maybe she has a nice name. Well, they say her name is Lichluchit Shema. Her name is Dirt. <laughs> so even her name is not a very pretty name. But Rabbi Ishmael now found something. This is all. She has a nice name. She has a fitting name, right? It's good that they call her dirt because she is dirty all over with blemishes. And so because she has a name that's fitting for her physical description, therefore there is something beautiful about her and, there, and uh, therefore the vow does not apply and they can go and live happily ever after. All right, um, this is a fantastic story. And again, as Rambam reminds us, not, not all Agadot in the Talmud are to be taken literally. I think the point of the story is you can always find some good quality. Everybody is beautiful in some way, outside, inside, their name, their reputation, their family, right? Everybody is beautiful in some way. A certain Babylonian went to Eretz Yisrael, and he married a woman from Eretz Yisrael. But we're going to see there's some kind of culture clash. I don't know. They speak different languages. Amala beshili li tere He said to, her wife, to his wife, can you cook me a couple of lentils? Right? Uh, it literally says, can you cook me two lentils? Beshela le tere But this woman is very literal-minded, and she cooked, her, she cooked her husband literally two 
individual lentils. That's it. On the, can you imagine? On the plate, there's two lentils. <laughs> so he got very angry with her. And so the next day, he says, I know, I'm going to, I'll do the opposite. Uh, make me a geriva, a huge amount of lentils. So she did exactly that. She got these huge pots and made uh, a huge amount. Okay, she's like Amelia Bedelia. She takes everything exactly literally and gets everything wrong. Uh, the her husband said, go get me two busine, uh, which means gourds. But busine can also, in a different, in, um, uh, means gourds in Aramaic dialect in Bavel, but in Eretz Yisrael Aramaic, it means a lamp. By the way, this is a very important um, uh, um, uh, uh, story uh, to understand different dialects because Aramaic in Eretz Yisrael was actually very different from the Aramaic spoken in Bavel until today we have uh, different dictionaries I have here. Uh, right, uh, um, Professor Sakolov wrote two different dictionaries, one for Babylonian Aramaic and one for Aramaic in the land of Israel, and two different uh, grammars. So they really are two, two uh, uh, very different dialects of the language. Anyway, uh, what he meant by it is gourds, but busine means lamps. And so she went and got, she went and got two, uh, two, two lamps. Um, you know, fi fi fire lamps, like uh, the one made out of clay, put the wick in. She got these two lamps. She comes in with the two lamps. He says, that's not what I meant. I don't need those lamps. Go break them on the baba, on the head of the baba. Now, the bava means a gate, like bava kama, bava mesia, means the first unit or first gate, right? So go, go, to the, go out to the front of the house and break them on the gate. That's not what I wanted. You see, he's angry. Now it happened to be she went to the she went to the gate maybe the gate of the city, and Baba Ben Buta was there. He's one of the Gedolei Hador um, from the early generation, um, a student of Shammai, and he happens to be, his name happens to be Baba, and he's sitting at the gate. Maybe he's judging. That's where the judges would sit at the gate. So he's, he's sitting there judging a case. She sees him and she knows his name is Baba Ben Buta. And her husband said, go break this lamp on the head of Baba. So she goes to Baba Ben Buta and breaks the lamps on his head. He says, what in the world are you doing? My, son, my, my husband said, I should break these lamps on the head of Baba, and that's you. Amar at asita reson balech hamakom yosim imech shene banim ke Baba ben Buta. And he, instead of getting angry, shows the great midot of this rabbi that he, instead of getting angry, he gave her a blessing and said, "Just as you." fulfilled the uh, your, the commandment of your husband, so too Hamakom Hashem should uh, sh should give should grant uh, all your request and uh, there should come before from you two sons that will be just like Baba Ben Buta, meaning just like me, right? May you have two, um, uh, maybe you could see uh, metaphorically, two candles, right? Two people that will teach Torah and be great leaders like Baba Ben Buta. And on that happy ending, uh, we conclude the Perek, Hadran Alach, Rabbi Eliezer.